This week's episode is brought to you by the Talkbuster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So listen to the Talkbuster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. And welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Uh, horrible. I am sick, and there's other stuff going on I want to talk about, so why don't we move on, and I'll try to be uptown, but if I'm a little more subdued, that's, that's what's happening. <clears throat> all right. Good enough. Uh, well, we're going to start this week's episode the same way we start all our episodes, by thanking the people that make this possible. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, Krug, Reed D, and Arthur Crane. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geekswishshields. For only 25 cents an episode, you help us produce this week to week, and you get all sorts of nifty benefits and bonuses. This week, we are joined by stand-up comedian Clee Wiggins. Hello. Glee is here to discuss with us movies we saw as kids that we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> I have so many. Well, you know, that's good to hear, because usually when we do a topic like this with a guest, we like to give the guest first crack. Oh, wow. Um, well, I just preface it by saying, like, my mom, I was raised by a single mom, and it was me, her, and my brother, who's a year younger than me. And she basically, uh, my mom is very conservative in a lot of ways. But the one area in which she was like sort of pretty much unrestricted was what we watched on TV and movies. We could pretty much watch whatever we wanted. She did not care. So, and she, my mom is also kind of a nerd and she really loves action and sci-fi movies. So, and she's also like was an early adopter of technology. So I'm a child of the 80s. Like when I was a little kid, I was, it was the 80s. And then I was a teenager in the, in the mid 90s. So we saw, like, Terminator, Lethal Weapon, I actually saw on my 11th birthday. At, like, my mom took me and all my friends <laughs> to see Lethal Weapon 2 on my birthday. Um, and I'd already seen Lethal Weapon 1, which, like, pretty much which opens with a naked woman jumping from a building. And then, oh, there you like, go. five scenes later, it's Mel Gibson's bare ass. And I saw that movie. <laughs> like, Equal opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and I saw that movie when I was like nine. And then for my birthday, she took me and my um, three best friends, Cece, Ramraji, and Molly, to go see Lethal Weapon 2 in the theaters. So I saw Die Hard um, when I hold was. On, hold on. So Lethal Weapon 2 is latch yeah. on that for just a moment here. You you had already seen Lethal Weapon yeah. and, and your, your yeah. parents were very like light on what you actually watched. Yeah. Did the experience oh. to be then? I'm sorry, say that again. I was saying was that was the experience in the theater basically what you expected in that case? Yeah, I mean it was you know lethal weapon the first especially the first two lethal weapon movies are very straightforward action movie buddy cop movies. So they you know the first one uh, is my favorite I think, but the second one you know it has Joe Pesci and it has that battle at the end on the ship with the South Africans and all that type of stuff. And it was so interesting because my friends and I were all very multicultural. Like, you know, two of us were black girls, a white girl, and then my friend Cece is half Japanese and half white. And like, so the whole racism undertone of that movie, like spoke to all of us in very different ways. We were just old enough and we grew up in a liberal, I grew up in San Francisco. So it's, it's just a liberal enough city that we knew exactly what was happening in that underpinning of that movie so Mm -hmm. we were like so that so like everything about it fascinated us you know mel gibson is hot this movie is awesome (laughs) because it's just explosions and a house getting pulled down from the ground you know by its stilts and stuff um you know san francisco is kind of a small city even though it's a large city it's area-wise it's small and danny glover is very narrow 
Yeah, and and Danny Glover is from San Francisco, so all of us had seen him multiple times. He actually lived in my neighborhood yeah. when I was a kid, and my, and my mom went to high school with him and his brothers. My mom has four sisters and two brothers, and Danny Glover has five brothers and two sisters, and they're just like they line up with my mom and her siblings, so they all went to high school together. So it was like it was like the whole thing is just it's a very interesting um, way of like movie that was like sort of was one of the formative movies that really got me into action movies as a kid um, was Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2. I, I do think it's it's funny to hear and uh, impressive to hear that, you know, that under themes because, I mean, I, I was in the yeah. some movies I'll talk about later, but I didn't really start analyzing them in that kind of capacity until I got, uh, you know, older than what you've described. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were like in fifth, sixth grade and, you know, all of us, had molly hadn't because she was the only white girl but she was all like our my school wasn't very diverse but you know the the kids who were who weren't white those of us who weren't white like our experiences the other girls really saw it because our school was very small so when like something happened like there was a field trip one time and me and Ramaraji were the only black girls in my class at that time and somebody called us the me and her the n-word and we were this was the year before so, and it was like 20 other girls who could see it. Like, they saw it happen. So, it shaped things in our lives. And because they were right there to see it, and because it's a liberal city that where those kinds of discussions were happening amongst kids and their parents, I think much younger than some kids in other parts of the country have, that they, like Molly and the rest of us, we all understood, like, why South Africa was... And it was also around the same time that Nelson Mandela was in the news for about to get released from prison. So it was very much like we knew what was happening and what with what the undercurrent of that movie was trying to address while still having explosions and sex and all of that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you couldn't, you, your regular experience, it sounds like to me from your description here. Uh, say that again? Oh, well, I was just saying... It sounds to me like you, like you couldn't not know it because those mm-hmm. those things were having such an impact on you outside the theater. So yeah, you know, and it's weird. It's only like whenever I left San Francisco that anything sort of racial happened to me. Like the most, like my first two big experiences with somebody being racist towards me happened on school field trips. So when we were outside of the city and we went to a smaller town like but still in california hmm, yeah it's funny because I, I remember it, i don't have you know anything resembling necessarily that experience but i i yeah. grew up at first in san diego and i remember being in very diverse classes and then i moved to idaho as a teenager and all the diversity evaporated <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's not unsurprising i could see idaho not being the most diverse place yeah <laughs> Snow on a plate. (laughs) But that movie was like one of the first ones. The Lethal Weapon series was one of the first like R-rated movies that I latched onto. And then when my mom, like we had a VCR starting back like in 19, like when I was like four, back in like 1980. So we, my my mom paid all the money that it cost in the world to get to to get videotapes. So we had like Die Hard on videotape when it came out, and so I watched all those movies over and over and over again. From the movies, yeah, a lot of big action movies. It yeah. Sounds like. Yeah, mostly like most R-rated movies I saw were action movies with a with a couple of comedies, Eddie Murphy comedies mostly thrown in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always I, I have always thought it was funny that a movie like uh, like RoboCop, for instance, had such a large young demographic considering yeah. it, how ultra violent it is. <laughs> it is super old. I remember RoboCop actually being one of the ones I didn't like because it was a little too violent for me. Um when I was a kid it was like it cuz it cuz it was graphically violent as opposed to just sort of actiony violent. I was like that's a lot of blood. I yeah. don't know if I can no, rewatch this movie a lot. Yeah, but, that, that like, scene totally where they're violent. actually shooting off his limbs still haunts me. So Yeah. But like Total Recall and oh, Total stuff Recall. like that, and, and the Terminator, I loved. My mom well, you know, I was gonna. Terminator. Yeah, I was so, gonna say that for me, the the first one I remember, uh, as in watching and you know a movie like that that I probably shouldn't have, but I'm glad I did, was Terminator Two specifically. Yeah. I think I saw that when I was like six, like not old mm-hmm. enough to 
understand nearly all of what was happening, but it was enough to get me thinking about, like, I've always said that... explosions and Arnold was in it. That's all we needed. Yeah, but I've always said that Terminator 2 is the movie that taught me as a child that movies could be something, like, amazing, if that makes any sense, other than just a distraction. Yeah, that movie was amazing, and that's actually one of the first movies where, like, I spent my own money to go see it repeatedly. Like, I didn't ask my mom for money. Like, I had saved up all that like kid birthday money and there's like this is what i'm gonna blow it on i'm gonna go see terminator 2 two more times like because i had just enough money to go do that and like my brother (laughs) and i would all go and see and like and sometimes my mom would be like you know because that movie i think came out in the summer time and so my grandmother also was like kind of, my whole family really was kind of very lenient about what we what what the kids were watching nobody really monitored that aspect of our childhood so like my grandmother a lot of times in the summertime like all the i have a bunch of cousins that we all grew up like very close-knit in san francisco and we would spend our summers sort of hanging out at our grandparents house and my grandmother would just like give us money and be like get out of the house and we wanted to go see terminator <laughs> two multiple times um my cousin Yaini, who's a much older than me like not much older she's a couple years old but she was 17 at the time so she would like take the money from my grandmother, go to the theater, buy all of our tickets, give us our tickets, and then she would leave and go hang out with her friends. And then all the kids ah. would go and watch Terminator 2. And we're talking about, like, at the time, like, I think my youngest cousin was maybe five years old. And she <laughs> saw Terminator 2 in the theater, like, probably three times that summer. <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that the T-1000 was uh, her, her personal boogeyman. It was for me. <laughs> no, she's, like, she's super into horror and, and horror anime now. No, the T-1000 was awesome. That didn't scare me at all. I don't remember how. I I think that a big part of the reason why I'm uncomfortable around policemen as an adult is because the T-1000. Just saying. Oh, I got to read. Nope, not not going there. Not going there. Not the podcast for that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Like Die Hard, Terminator. They're just great movies. Yeah, they are. You know, it's funny um, going and seeing that movie like a bunch of times. I was recently talking with uh, with Mima, and I had like had this realization of like, wait a minute, you were a teenager before Star Wars existed. What was that like? Like I was just sitting and chatting with her about it because I've been watching uh, that '70s show recently, and they, you know, in the yeah. episode they they kept going back and re-seeing it. So I asked her, was that was actually like? And she said, yeah, she was like 11 or 10 when it came out, but they would just skip school and go see it like four or five times a week over the course of like a couple months. And so yes. movies that are are like that that get that kind of response, I think, is that's that's a that's a rarity. And the, the hearing that about like Terminator 2 because I wasn't old enough to go see Terminator 2 in the theaters. I just yeah. we had a VHS. So hearing that is pretty, really neat to me. Yeah, I think, and that's one of the, like, those movies, like, most of my friends went and saw that movie multiple times. Like, most of my friends from middle school, and then um, later when I became friends with different people in high school, like, every one of us were like, how many times did you see Terminator 2 in the theater? Like, five times? Like, you know, everybody had a... Because it was such a great movie. And that was also at a time when, like, it took a year or more for a movie to come out on VHS. So you had to go see it. If you wanted to see it again, you couldn't, you didn't have to wait three or four months. You know, like, Rise of Skywalker is coming out on DVD in March. And it was just in the theaters, you know, two months ago. Yeah, I think and I believe it's still way in last week. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I saw it on Christmas. And it's going to be out, like, that's four months. When Terminator Terminator 2 didn't come out on VHS until like late 1992, and it was in the theaters in the summer of 91. So I don't think I saw it till it was on TV because I didn't have access to movie theaters. Like yeah. the nearest movie theater was an hour away. Oh so, God! I can't yeah. imagine growing up like that. I don't know. I, since I've had access to movie theaters as an adult, like I'm gonna go to all the movies I can. And then I had a kid, and it's like, oh, I ain't going to movies no more. Okay. I don't know. Just see, be like my mom and take your kid to the movies because my mom. We were well, the there's a list. Like I said, there's definitely someone I want to take it to, which is kind of one of the things I wanted to, you know, bring up. Like, are any of these movies like? Are you going to show these movies to kids or younger, you know, ones? Because I look like, you know, as a parent, I shouldn't show her Terminator, but I'm counting on the days till I can show her Terminator. Well, it depends on the kid, I think, because like um, a couple of years ago, I was um, living with my cousin. And at the time she had two daughters and her older daughter at that time was about five, almost six years old. And I and her younger daughter was a baby. She was uh, like just over a year old, I think. And uh, 
So I was watching them one day. Her and her husband went out, and she's like, Lee, can you watch the girls for the night? And I was like, absolutely. And um, so I thought they were, they were playing in their room together. And then I started watching um, Indian Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, which is not R-rated, but it's PG-13. And so that the old one... The end. Yeah. So the old one, Kira, comes in the room, comes in the living room, and she's like, can I watch this with you? And I'm like, I pause the movie, and I'm like, let me think for a second. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, actually, yes, you can. And then I was like, I decided I'll skip over the scarier part. So I skipped over the snakes scene, which I don't really watch that, like, too hard anyway, because I'm scared to death of snakes. And I Mm. skipped the face-melting scene, but I described what happens in those scenes. That face-melting scene still... I had that yeah. on VHS, and I watched that a ton as a kid, and I I never skipped that scene, but it scared the living crap out of me. Yeah, it scared me as a kid too, but then as I got older, like, and then as you start to like really recognize like this how the effects are done and stuff, and especially as the oh, you appreciate a whole a new bit. level. Yeah, like, but it, it comes out of nowhere. It becomes less scary, but like, like she, but the funny thing was like she so she watched the whole movie. I started the movie over from the beginning because I wasn't very far into it, so she would know what was happening. And I didn't want to have to explain too much, but she's a smart girl like she's so smart and so we skipped those two scenes but i i went right up to the edge of those scenes so she saw like a glimpse of the snakes and then she saw like a glimpse of the faces starting to melt and then i skipped past and then i was like what do you think of the movie kira and she goes i liked it i think i'll like it more when i'm older though (laughs) (laughs) and then i just saw her like two days ago and she watched the movie again for the first time since i let her watch it which was almost seven years ago she goes you know auntie clea i watched Raiders of the Lost Ark again for the first time since I saw it with you. It's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I ha- I do have this, I don't have a, a frame of reference or like how to really explain this, but there's this concept of like certain movies that on the surface don't seem like they should actually be appealing to kids just when you yeah. look at what's going on there. My example, which doesn't really fit in this conversation, but is Ghostbusters. Cause it's like, okay, yes, yeah. Ghostbusters is hunting ghosts, but that's actually a really small amount of the movie. Most of the movie is just people like talking in rooms about like building businesses and yeah. it's, it's, it's very, about how to start a small business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but kids managed to, to latch on to, you know, yeah. it's like, I, I wouldn't think that it would make logical sense. The kid's not going to sit there for 80 minutes just to get, like, a little laser. There's got to be something else going on there that keeps them, you know, hooked. I think that can also be true of a lot of these kind of movies we're talking about. I think it's no coincidence that they're action movies, generally speaking. I don't think anyone, you know, yeah. a lot of kids are going to be seeing the R-rated, like, dramas as children. Cause no, I, got one, I got one that falls into that category. Yeah? R-rated drama? Uh, not R-rated drama. But my dad showed me The Shining when I was eight years old. Oh, yeah. And I have still not recovered from that. See, I found The Shining boring. I saw The, the Oh, Shining it's a boring-ass movie, I'm sure. But. Around age, like, eight or nine, I think, for the first time. Um, and I was like, this movie is not interesting. And so it didn't scare me because there was such a lull. The pacing is so 70s, and there's such yep. a lull between yep. any of the scary parts. That, like, none of it really sat with me. And I oh, don't man, like the, scary movies. I'm a, I'm a baby when it comes to horror movies. I, I, I love horror like movies them. now, but oh, I have I not, I have not been able to go bad. back and rewatch The Shining. Mm-hmm. And I, I recently uh, watched Doctor Sleep, and the scenes of The Shining, like, holy shit, I got goosebumps. And, oh, God, they're going in the bathroom. Dad, mm, no. It's like, God, it's almost... I don't know how long ass times I've seen that movie, and it still is giving me this knee jerk reaction. Of, no, 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 no. Like, what? Well, I, I don't know why my dad thought, man, you know, he's eight years old. He can watch this shining. This is appropriate. See, my mom did that to me. Like, the movie that sat with me like that, there's two, which is the original Aliens, which also has that Ooh. sort of 70s pacing, but it's, I think it's much, it was much scarier to me. And also, um, Stephen uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, the one with I Jeff love Bobo. The Thing. Those are both amazing movies. So that my mom loves both those movies. Watched them constantly when I was a kid. So I saw them a lot, and I every time it gave me nightmares. And, and she was like, <laughs> put it on. She didn't care. Go back. Now to my mom room. waited to show me The Thing. Like she sat me down, like you need to watch this movie called The Thing. You're really going to like it. And I was like, okay. And that is one of my all-time favorite movies now. Yeah, and I saw that movie when I was like for the first time when I was like maybe six or seven, and I had a 
full-on nightmare of the first time. I still remember. That's a terrifying movie. Every aspect of that nightmare I still remember. I remember how my like how I went went running to my mom. It's been 30 years almost, and I still am like I know exactly. Like my mom and her two of her sisters were watching it, and I we should they let the kids watch it, and I was the only one who like I had a full-on nightmare, and I was like, this is terrible. You guys have traumatized me. This is child. Mm -hmm. I knew yep. exactly. I was like, you should have never let me watch that movie. No, the thing is, no. same thing with Alien. I, had, I was like, I think it was the chest bursting, like the idea of something oh inside. Oh, God, yeah. Was, well, that seemed so really, amazing. Yeah, I did not like it at all. So I had a very similar experience with a movie that I don't think is nearly as good because <laughs> I think Alien is like a, a, a masterpiece, right? But I remember, I think I was like five years old and I was at my grandmother's place. And she was off doing something else, so I was just left by myself in the living room. And I happened to turn on uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. <laughs> That's the best one, I think. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. it isn't, but I'm saying that uh, just compare. But point is, I have a very, very strong memory of him puppeteering <laughs> the dude by his veins. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I had nightmares about that for, like, a couple months straight. <laughs> I couldn't deal. I, like, yeah. I've seen the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. That's probably like the last like real horror, like kind of true horror movie that I've seen ever. Like except maybe Scream, and then I have not seen a, a real horror movie in well over twenty years. Because I oh, you're missing out. They've had some great ones. No, I can't do it. Like all those. Hey, movies, hey, for the record, I for the record, I'm the same like way. Annabelle and I, stuff, I can't handle it. Yeah, I, I don't do <laughs> horror movies either, but Ulrich here forced me to when we did our James Wan, like, set. And uh, I I found a couple – like, The Conjuring was pretty good, and I love Dead Silence, so. Fucking no. Dead Silence. Like, I haven't even seen The Quiet Place because I heard it has aspects of horror in it. Like, <laughs> well, that movie was just that tense. That's just a, that's just a yeah, tense movie. I can't take it. Maybe, like the, like, the one I watched, like, that's kind of sort of considered horror and that I actually like is The Silence of the Lambs. Which I saw that in the theater when I was, you know. Well, only only because it's uh only because it's relevant to what we're talking about. I just want to say also I have thalassophobia. I am deathly afraid of great bodies of water, and yet <laughs> something something possessed me to go see Underwater in January, <laughs> which is basically Alien except instead of outer space, it's at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, and that movie was amazing. I don't know what possessed me to go see it, but it was amazing. <laughs> so, oh wow! I thought you were yeah, gonna segue into Jaws. <laughs> no, I actually, I didn't. I didn't find Jaws scary as a kid, and I think the first time I saw Jaws, I? I was like uh, that same like sort of like the shirt could be sharks in the swimming pool feeling that I think everybody got. But other yeah, than that, I did have that afterwards. Like, but other than that, like Jaws never scared me as a kid, and that was another one that I like. Well, Lee, I think you, I think you touched on it very well with the idea of a '70s pacing. I remember yeah. first first discovering that when I tried to watch uh, Five Easy Pieces. Which apparently is this great Jack Nicholson movie. I don't know. I couldn't get through it because it. Yeah, like you have to like these days. I think we're so used to watching things where something sort of something interesting happens like every three and a half, four and a half minutes. That like seventies pacing, you you kind of have to get your mind ready for it in a way that you didn't necessarily have to twenty or twenty five years ago because it's like the 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 pacing of those movies is so different from the like even like if you watch a movie that was made in 1975 and then you watch a movie that was made in 1985 it's like you would think they were made by like that was made by the same director you would think they were being like made by you know aliens <laughs> yeah but I, I think i think that's a big part of why something like jaws didn't really get to me is that most of that movie is like i get on paper why it works that most of this movie is just tension building using the music yeah. in the background but in experience my experience with it was uh, for lack of a better term, boredom. Now, as an adult, I appreciate Jaws for a lot of reasons, but as a kid, this is this was my feelings. <laughs> yeah, if if you like a kid these days would watch Jaws and be bored out of their skull, like for for like ninety five percent of the movie. See, I don't know because I have a distinct memory of watching Jaws when I was like four years old. It was Saturday morning. Mom was making breakfast. I had this thing, and I think it worked. And the reason some of these older ones worked is, as a kid, you rarely sat down and watched the entire movie. You kind of bounced in and out. Yeah. So if they have these big set pieces, it works because you, oh, you wandered out. Oh, look, the shark's attacking again, and you watch yeah. for the shark attack, and then you get bored and wander off again. And these are the parts we remember. Like I don't think yeah. I have a full memory of sitting down and watching all of Jaws till much later, but I distinctly remember as a kid going into the kitchen going, "My mom, 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 the shark came and he ate the guy." 
Yeah, I, I would think like a movie like Jaws actually would be better to show a kid when they're actually a little bit younger. If you think they can handle the actual shark part portions of the movie, like if they if if they'll find it exciting, then I think it would actually be better if you showed Jark like Jaws to a kid that was like under the age of seven because they're like their attention span is gonna wander and then they're gonna look at the screen like as soon as the shark comes. No, I did that with my with my cousin's daughters. Like we, I watched, I showed them Goonies the last time I was with them, and they had never, they never even heard oh, of it. Goonies is the classic. Yeah, and even though that's a, another PG thirteen movie, but like these, they're these girls are six, nine, and twelve. So Goonies is right in there. Yeah, you know it's perfect age like, for it. Yeah, they were there for they were there, but Goonies is an eighties movie. It was made in nineteen eighty five or eighty six or something like that. So like they loved it. Yeah, I know it doesn't really relate to our conversation right now, but just based on what you said, I have to take a quick side note here in that I remember being in high school making a joke about the Sandlot, and no one in class knew what I was talking about, and part of me died that day. So it's just that's one of those movies. There are certain groups of movies like The Goonies, like The Sandlot, that to me are like, that's just part of childhood. How did you not have this experience? They ran on cable television the afternoons nonstop. Yeah. I actually anyway. never saw the Sandlot, but I'm just on the other side of the demographic for that movie. Yeah, like, fair I, enough. Like, I was maybe like two years too old to see that movie when it came out. Yeah, but this these were like these were like my this was I think yeah. middle school, and so these were people in my class. I just I said that you're killing me, Smalls, and the teacher laughed, and no, everyone that just one stared I've at. Heard, like you're killing me, Smalls is <laughs> done to death at this point. Like, they don't know. They didn't know. Yeah, no, every little stared at me. They didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> anyway. Back on topic, on the opposite end of the whole 70s pacing, I, I was thinking, what's a movie that fits this conversation that I think is paced really, like, fast-paced so that even as a child, like, you could really be into it, even though you probably shouldn't be watching it? My thoughts instantly went to Predator. Probably because you mentioned yeah. Oh, I when, love Predator. I watched that with my brothers. That was, like, a big thing. Don't tell Mom we let you watch this. Yeah, that's another one my mom let me watch and she had no problem with. And then we saw, and then actually I saw Predator 2 in the theater with my mom and a couple of my cousins and like, and my mom's sisters. They all were like, let's all go see Predator 2. And that was still like the youngest one was probably seven or eight years old. Yeah, you know, skinning for the whole family. (laughs) We went and saw Predator, and I think it was because Danny Glover was in it. Yeah. That we all went and saw, because like they, like I said, they went to high school together and like we saw him in the neighborhood like all the time. He came into our coffee shop that my family owned and our sporting goods store. And then, so I'm like, let's go see Danny's movie. Yeah, watch him fight, so a, fight a giant alien. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they all were like laughing at, they found it hilarious to watch Danny. Well, to be fair, the second movie is pretty like, funny. <laughs> and like the kids, like all, like all my boy cousins, actually all of us were all like, this movie is awesome. Except that like part of it, when they're on the subway at the time, it takes like that was shot on BART, which is part of San Francisco's transit system. So we were all like, when that part came up, we were all like, that's BART. LA doesn't have an underground because at that point, LA didn't have a metro yet. So we were like, that ain't nothing but BART. Look, that's Richmond right there. <laughs> so that's yeah. totally out of the movie. But other than that, we loved it. And like, and Ed makes fun of me all the time because I'm one of those people, I tend to like, the sequels to things more than the original film. So I love Lethal Weapon 2. I love Predator 2. I, I like, and I watch those more than I watch the originals. You know, so I, I, I like, I, I like Predator 2, but I feel yeah, like Predator 1 is kind of, well, I think They're, Predator 1 is kind of perfect for what it's trying to be. So I have a hard time, oh, but Predator I do like. amazing. And it w- I would have loved to have seen Arnold do Predator 2. He didn't want to do it for some, I, I remember reading correctly like he was supposed to be in predator 2 and then decided not to and as far as i'm concerned dutch is still like the my go-to or arnold role that isn't a robot so tony yeah, and the barbarian it's his second best role of that era by far yeah now if we're talking about movies that 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 we probably shouldn't have seen as a child there's only one movie period that my my mother wanted me to watch but purposefully told me I couldn't watch it till I reached a certain age, uh-huh. <laughs> which was uh, when I was 13. She let me watch her favorite movie, which was Natural Born Killers. Oh wow, that's hilarious! 
Yeah, and I finally did see it, and I kind of heard about it because, again, my mom's favorite movie. And then I saw it, and I didn't know about any of the controversy surrounding it. I just, but I did pick up pretty easily watching it that it was a satire, and that mm-hmm. it was uh, the giant message was, "Hey, violence is bad, and America's bloodlust for violence is bad." Yes. So, so later on when I found about the controversy, I thought it was kind of weird because I'd never yeah. questioned that, you know. It's almost like even it's even a cautionary tale about reality television before reality television was even really a thing, which is kind of interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. Like, like because could, the whole country is sort of following this couple through their whole thing, and they're being filmed through a lot of it, and. Well, definitely, because one of the big uh, one of the big themes I picked up on when I was, you know, that when I first saw it was this idea of um, the demon and particularly attaching the demon to media like that movie has a lot of bad things to say about media in general. (laughs) So and so, like, I definitely think that I I latched on to that concept of people are going to what's not voyeurism, it's uh, vicariousness, like just watching other people suffering through the, the screen and the movie was trying to shove this down the audience's throat. I feel like, oddly enough, I feel like that movie's kind of the part of the reason I'm a pacifist. Well, I mean, oh, I'm, like, I'm like 95% pacifist in general, but, and it's, it's kind of weird to say that considering, you know, what movie that is, but mm-hmm. I think that had an, a big impact on me when I was a teenager, so. Yeah, that's a gamble to show that movie to a teenager. I hope they take away the right message, because otherwise, I'm going to fuck this kid up for life. <laughs> Well, that's why I thought it was appropriate in this conversation. I still, to this day, like Woody Harrelson is one of my favorite actors because of that. And every time I show that movie to one of my friends, I showed my friend Doug, and um, I, I had him come to my place, him and a couple friends. We watched it. Afterwards, the credits are rolling. He turns, and uh, pardon my language, but he went, I feel like Woody Harrelson just fucked me in the ear. <laughs> and I went, yeah, your brains are scrambled, but don't worry. <laughs> You'll be fine. He, in fact, was not. I don't know. That's one of those ones that I I always want to show people, but it's it's uh it's a gamble, <laughs> and it was a gamble when it was shown to me. So that's a heavy movie. There's a lot to take in, and it's really fucking weird. I mean, Natural Point Killers has a lot going on. There's like every time I watch that movie, which it's been a while since I've seen it, but every time I've watched it, I'm always like, this movie is kinetic. There's like a lot happening in this. That's thing. a really good word for it, kinetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like and I, I, you know, some people would say it was like chaotic or frantic. But I'm like, no, it's kinetic. Like the the energy is pulsing through that movie the entire time. It's kind yeah, of it knows it knows where it's going. Chaotic is not the word for that movie. It has an end goal. It has a purpose. Yeah. I also I was I was old enough when I saw it to recognize that Ronnie Dangerfield was um, playing off of his own public persona. Yeah, he was sort of actually playing a little bit against type, um, but also playing himself. It was very interesting that they like sort of flipped his his stand up character on its ear and like what if that person who was so disrespected by his family that whole time like it turned him sort of into a monster as opposed to just sort of a put upon person which is what his stand up character was. It's kind of interesting. I kind of I liked that part of that movie. I, I, didn't remember, I remember about when that, I saw the movie for the first time that I didn't know that he was in it back when you could still go into a movie sort of completely blind. And not know everything that happens that is not there there's a little bit of nostalgia for that yeah it's funny because i remember when um when robert Downey jr became like the biggest actor on the planet i yeah. still knew him as the psycho news guy from natural Park killers so yeah. and that was pre uh drug breakdown if i remember correctly so that was actually about the same time yeah uh, that's like right before well because i know yeah, kiss kiss bang bang was his first movie, movie after then. Like, I mean, he had had a drug problem for a very long time, like through most of the 80s and into the late 90s. And I think Natural Born Killers was one of the turning points uh, for him in terms of his drug habit or addiction, I should say. Because, like, I think right after that movie is when he sort of went on that bender that ended with him, like, sleeping in some child's bed or whatever. That sort of flipped him around, but had him go through all those legal problems and then... And then I think, I think, and then he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and then he got Iron Man. And I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but anyway, <laughs> he's well is weird. It weird that an entire generation's only going to know him as Iron Man and not, you know, I, man, not Robert Downey Jr. has had a like, weird career. If only you knew how much cocaine Robert Downey Jr. has done, child. <laughs> hey kid, let me tell you a story. <laughs> you know Iron Man? Twenty years ago, he would have slept in your bed and not known he was there. <laughs> oh, so any of the terrible movies he did in that purgatory time. 
But I, one of the reasons why I like bringing this up is because not only was it like a movie that was – I mean I was like, quote-unquote mature for my age. The joke was always I was born 80. But still that was a very ultra-violent movie to see even at my age. But it, I think it had a very positive impact on me going forward. So it's one of those things where it's like maybe you shouldn't have seen it for your age, but it ended up being a good thing. And so I'm trying to think like what's a – what are more examples like that? Like I mentioned how with Terminator 2, it was like it taught me to appreciate movies and like a cinema – level so like got any things that kind of fit into this kind of yeah i saw this young and also had this impact on me because for this reason maybe because i saw it so young i would say probably the lethal weapon one and two and die hard are really what made me want to go are the movies that probably made me want to go to film school which i did because i want i thought i wanted to be an action director when i was younger then now i realized more i'm more of a writer Hey, in all fairness, I've always thought Die Hard was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, and then I, you know, I watched that, um, the movies that made us on Netflix, and they talked about Die Hard, and how it was kind of a completely different movie, and it was sort of like the jokes were being added as they were filming the movie. So That's Shane Black's uh, stamp. Yeah. how he got on Predators was, you know, you might need someone to punch up the script as we're there. Maybe you should uh, send me out and put me in the movie. Yeah, with Die Hard, it was, I forgot the name of the script writer that came in and punched it up, because there was, like, the original script, which was sort of based on the book, but, like, just, but just updated to be, to take place in the 80s, and then they were filming it, and they realized, like, it's, this movie's kind of boring, and so it needed, it needs some punching up, and so they brought in, I forgot what, Edward, no, right off the top of his head, but my memory is terrible, um, that they needed, so they punched it up as they were shooting. So, like, the scene where Hans and uh, Bruce Willis meet in the stairwell, that was, like, an, they, they wrote that movie, they wrote that scene, like, the day before they shot it. I, I love that sort of oh, stuff. That's impressive. Right? Yeah. So, and I, that movie and the Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 were, like, I want to be an action movie director and make movies like this. Like, you know, thinking, like, movies would still be made the same exact way as they were in 1989. Like, you know, by the time I graduated college in 2000. So. You know, I do think it's funny that there are certain trends right that uh hollywood or just say media tends to go through like i think right now we're in this interesting place where everything is also comedy which i love yeah. because i'm also like i grew up watching a lot of state of comedian stuff and i think it's funny that even horror movies everything's an action movie like even stuff that isn't really an action movie is going to have some car chases and some fights and... yeah like we just saw sonic the hedgehog over the weekend and that like it's very much like like i we know the the ed and i both know this the guys who wrote the movie and their mandate from the studio was to like it was supposed to be like have a, that quote-unquote four quadrant appeal it's supposed to appeal to every demographic and it sort of does that but it's very much mostly a kids movie, but it's got a lot of car, it or it's got like a few car chases. It's got a lot of like but chase scenes, um, and it has a lot of action for a movie that's meant to be a a kids movie. You know, for the most part, it's like if I was ten, that movie would be my favorite movie of the year, hands down. Well, it's making <laughs> money, so something went right. Yeah, but like, and so it's it, it's interesting how the how movie movies have changed. And it's you know, the industry and the sensibility of the audiences, people being a little bit more sophisticated and things need to have like a slightly broader appeal because these days, like when I was a kid, most of the movies that I saw, I, I saw with my cousins or with my friends without my parents. Like I've actually never went to a movie ever in my life with my dad, um, even though he was, even though my parents weren't together, but he was around. But we, I've never not once actually went to a movie theater with my father. Um, we, I saw movies with him at home, but and then with my mom, she took us to a lot of movies when we were very young, and a lot of acts like that's how I saw, like I saw Temple of Doom when I was a little kid, like far too young to see that movie with like the pulsating, pumping hearts and all that type of stuff. Oh yeah, um, and uh, you know, and I saw Lethal Weapon with her and Predator with her, but most of the movies that I saw, even the R-rated ones, I saw like just with my cousins and with my or and or with my friends and but these days kids like most of the time when they go to the movies there there's at least one parent there like i but i have memories of being in a theater and having it be all kids and not and seeing like hardly no adults at all and that's not the experience of kids these days yeah i definitely i didn't get to experience that because the only theater in my town growing up was at like the mall 
and there's no way I was uh, gonna. It was like Parkway Plaza, which was like this huge mall. There's no way I was gonna get to that on my own. <laughs> so yeah. But I mean, well, even like, then, like my mom going to the mall, it was like you eat like I mean, I grew up in a city, so we could take the bus to the mall. But there was also like you got dropped off at the mall and then your parent left and you hung out at the mall all fucking day by yourself or, you know, just with your friends. Like, by the way, as a side note, that that's the case. Uh, as, as a side note, I hadn't heard this term before that you brought up this uh, four quadrant movie. Yeah, I'm surprised I hadn't heard of it before, but I just did a really? quick search of it. Yeah, I don't know, but and if there's anyone else uh, who hasn't heard of it, the the four quadrants are male under 25, female under 25, male over 25, and female over 25. That seems yeah. very limited in uh. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's why it's such but a those, joke. The, that's that the four quadrant nonsense. They have the most. Like that's supposed to be the the best demographic, the most appealing for movie and the movie industry. I guess all all you can think is that I saw that and I. I as like a a fan of science and engineering, categorization and quadrants are useful for you know separating things into useful bits of information. But these seem so generalized that I I don't see the I don't know I don't these don't seem very useful to me and I can Movie see why industry this... executives aren't the most creative people. So yeah. you have to get very basic. I'll give the whole joke behind the four quadrants. It's like make something good, but make it appeal to everybody. But that. It's mutually exclusive, almost. Yeah. I can either make something good, or I can make something that works for everybody. You're not going to get both. Yeah. You can make, I mean, like, something, having, trying to make something that has the broadest possible appeal is anathema to try, to also making it be good. Because you can't, it's like not, it's not possible. You can make something that's very, very good, that is mostly meant for mo- a certain demographic, that other demographics would could possibly enjoy. They just won't enjoy it as much as the specific audience that it's targeted at it's like yeah, the, o- the only exception i could think of was so popular have you know and have been so popular for so long is that they can appeal to the broadest possible audience and i think you know to be cynical i think that's why they also branched out in in including like especially with the marvel franchise including characters like black panther to like even up the quotient because they're like we've sold everybody on these marvel movies being mostly pretty good Let's do a character that we would never be able to build this franchise on, but we can now introduce because people still want to see this story continue. So let's throw in Black Panther or Captain Marvel and like have it appeal to a a demographic that may not necessarily be 100 percent down. I'm certainly I'm certainly glad they're doing that because I'm going to get Kamala Khan soon. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's like and I, I mean, the screening of Black Panther that I went to. In our neighborhood in LA, like it's very, very diverse. So there, it's like it's very, it's incredibly diverse. But the screening I went to, like there was a black grandmother there who hadn't been to a movie in like 25 years, and she came to this movie. Like it was literally, she, I heard her telling her grandkid, "This is the first movie I've seen in theaters. It's a soldier story or some shit like that." And then <laughs> she was also like passing out potato salad at the theater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how wonderful! So she had like a big like tub of potato salad and a bunch of little like quart pint like quart containers deli containers and was handing out potato salad to people in the audience to strangers. Oh, that poor usher that had to tell her no. <laughs> people were eating it. It was like this dampest potato salad I've ever had, but it was amazing. <laughs> and so you get that like I think you know it, it's sort of these like steps, but I I feel like if you just want to make a like a quality story. You can't try to make it have the broadest appeal. It's not, that's not how storytelling really works. It has to like build slowly. And I think that's one of the things that, um, about how the way the movies are released these days and why Parasite, I think, does so well is because it had such a slow release. As you know, like Parasite came out in June of last year and it was still in the theaters come November. Like they don't, most movies don't have that kind of run anymore. But you can appeal to a broader audience if you let a movie sit in it wherever it's been released for as long as possible. That's why streaming movies are doing so well, I think, because anybody can watch it at any time. Well, I also feel the thing with Parasite is that it came out, there was some buzz. I remember back in June, like uh, my my lady was interested in seeing it, but I didn't know anything about it, so we didn't get around to seeing it. And then it started getting a lot more talk. When like it wasn't even playing in theaters around here uh, until like December, so 
it's just that I think that the longer it went on, the more the it got this kind of word of mouth until finally a lot of theaters were like, oh, okay, I guess we should show this movie because it's people are you know like liking it a lot. Yeah. And then boom, best picture. So, but that's like totally against how movies most movies are released. So like you know it took a while. Like I said, like you know we saw Terminator Two in the theater multiple times because it was in the theater the entire summer. So it was competition that's back then. Huh? There was less competition, so you know they weren't trying to okay next movie come in and you got a week get out all right next one come in yeah, well, yeah get well, out. Like, well movies sat in the theater even if you had a bunch of competition because I mean that same summer I think Jurassic Park also came out ninety four oh no no that was not what came out in ninety one yeah Exterminator two was ninety one I don't know when yeah. Jurassic Park was Jurassic Park was ninety four because I distinctly remember it and losing my shit for it because I was a dinosaur kid. 93, you're close. 93? Oh, yeah. what was the, oh, I remember now. It was um fucking um uh the Adams family. Oh. Which would have been like the kids movie of the summer. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure I did see that movie, but we saw Terminator 2 multiple times. We did not go see Adams family multiple times. Nobody was trying to do that. <laughs> I, that got that got a pretty good cult following after a while, but yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah, not gonna, I mean, it was a good movie. I'm pretty sure I saw that in the theater. I think, but just not fair to yeah. compare it to James Cameron in general. <laughs> or Arnold, you know, at the height of his power. Yeah. By the way, speaking of Arnold at the height of his power, you mentioned uh, Conan. That's an R-rated movie. Did you see it when you were a child, Orc? Oh no, I came to Conan at the exact right age when I was a teenager, and I discovered it, and it's like I was I was like in a huge Arnold phase. And I was like, wait, Arnold is playing a giant barbarian. Okay, this 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 works for me. And no, that one that one's definitely like I'm of no reservation showing that one to my daughter because it's not that bad. And the best part is, I I kind you know, Arnold barely speaks any English. She barely speaks any English. It'll work perfectly. <laughs> I mean, I tried to show that to my wife. And she thought it was the dumbest thing ever. Like he just grunts and punches things. Like, and now you see why I like that when I was 14. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I saw Conan when, like, as a teenager as well on VHS. I think it was when I rented, and then I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" I think I actually saw Conan the Destroyer before I saw Conan the Barbarian. Oof. See, that's another one where I like Conan the Destroyer more. That Ed hates that. Mocked relentlessly for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that attached to Conan, but it's 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 not the order I would. I don't know. It's like uh, my wife. She wanted to, you know, when she found out what Red Sonya was, she wanted to watch Red Sonya. Like, no, you don't. She's like, yeah, you know, badass redhead. That, that sounds cool. It's like, you don't want to watch it. And then we watched it, and it's like, so you think like that wasn't bad. And like, you are very forgiving of movies because <laughs> I would not describe Red Sonya as not that bad. No, Red Sonya is not good at all. But Code of the Destroyer is actually, I mean, Grace Jones is awesome in it, and and Will Chamberlain looks ridiculous, and it's awesome. Umbatu! Umbatu! I love that movie. So, in a similar vein, actually, and not just art, like, you mentioned that you want to show uh, Maya uh, Conan that you can because of these these reasons. Do you have a movie like like how I mentioned it with me with Natural Born Killers, where it's like you got a movie that you want to show her, but not until you, they hit a certain age gap? <laughs> there is one, and I mean, if I'm gonna have a discussion about R-rated movies that I want to show my kids or that I saw, I got, and I'm afraid one is, but Starship Troopers. I don't know when I want to show her that, but I'm dying uh, to show her that. I think about twelve or thirteen, so she can get the satire a little bit better. But see, I watched it like I was eight and i watched it and i loved it just for yeah this is the greatest thing ever but i was kind of like but there's a lot of great satire in there and i don't know so i'm kind of like am i going to show it to her you know when she's young and she can appreciate the gore and the violence and the over the topness and then when she's a little bit older like okay now watch it with a bit more cynical eye that you have as a teenager mm-hmm. and see uh what the bigger thing is going on like what are they trying to say yeah oh yeah you could do both so show it to her when she's like eight or nine and then Show her to her again when she's like 13 or 14. Because I watched that movie a ton as a kid because my grandfather loved it. My mom, for the record, hates this movie. She doesn't understand <laughs> why I love this movie. She thinks it's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, my mom didn't like that movie either. She thought it was dumb. Yeah, no, my mom's still like, how do you like that movie? It's dumb. It's awesome. And it's, it's really like, a movie for like 14-year-olds and then people who loved it when they were like 14. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll agree to that. So it's like one of those ones like I want to show her to this because, like I said, my grandfather showed me because he loved it. My grandfather showed me a lot of you know he showed me the t- Terminator for the first time. He didn't you know care. It's just like when there's nudity, he's like ah look away, don't don't look, don't look at that. But the violence, yeah, the decapitation, that's all good. And I remember my grandmother was always kind of like I don't know if he should be watching this, but she kind of went along with it anyways. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, uh, Starship Troopers. It's one of my favorite movies, and I kind of want to show it to that. It's like because I want her to understand her father's taste in movies. Like what she like. Well, I watched this a lot. Every time it was on TV, I watched this. And yeah. then, you know, she's like, you watch it every month now. Like, yeah, well, some habits die hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, that's definitely yeah. one. It's like, I, I, it, it, there, I will probably can watch it when she's eight, and then she'll watch it again when she's a bit older, and I'll see if she gets the satire. She's like, man, those bugs have really held up. I'm like, yeah, they have. Yeah, I mean, that movie's awesome. It, it's really, I think it's underrated even to this. Even though it's a cult classic now, I still feel like it's an underrated movie. We should have gotten so much more out of, you know, that should have been a franchise and not yeah. the franchise. I mean, it is. It, Technically, there are like four more movies, but there's, I've seen them all. There, there's only like one good sequel, and that yeah. makes me sad. <laughs> so I have a question. How about, yeah. what about movies that are R rated? that star primarily children themselves like my go-to is uh, stand by me which is an r-rated film about oh, yeah. young kids i like showing that movie to kids actually i've shown that movie to my brother's kids and they enjoy it. it's another sort of adventure movie i showed it to my brother's two older kids the younger one he's uh, i he didn't care but the two oh, my brother's two older kids his my brother's kids are 11 12 and 16 the 12 and the that's 16, the right age yeah, the 12 and the 16-year-old really liked Stand By Me. I, I think I saw that when I was 10? Yeah, I think the first time I saw that movie, I was, I think I was around 11 or 12 when I saw it. I just movie. think that's a really interesting type of movie where it's like, so ostensibly this movie is not meant for anyone uh, under 17 according to the rating, but all the actors are well under 17. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that bad about it, but that's a whole thing about the rating system and why it's stupid in America. Yeah. I believe Stand By Me gets that rating mostly because of, like, language and depiction of certain events, like, you know, yeah. Kid With a Gun, so. Yeah, it's mostly the language, I think, that uh, got Stand By Me, it's R rating. And I think if that movie came out now, it would probably be PG-13. Well, that's another thing, too, is that that was one of those, um, you know, every now and then you get some movie that is, or show that was better at depicting how children or younger people actually speak. And Stand yeah. By Me was pretty early, that was, what, 1986? So, like, yeah, depicting a bunch of middle schoolers, like, talking, like, you know, actual middle schoolers was pretty uh, yeah. rare I mean, back then. that's why Goonies, I think, works so well, even though that movie's PG-13. But that movie, it, when it first got screened by the MPAA, did get an R rating because of the language. And they went back and reshot and, and re-edited it to edit out the language because they let the kids cuss as much as they wanted to. So if they improvised a line in which they cussed, they left it in in the original cut of that movie. And it's funny because from my perspective, right, when, when we talk about R-rated movies that are seen by kids, I feel like people who do take some sort of umbrage with it or are quicker to take umbrage at something like language than violence. But I feel yeah. like it's the other way around for me where it's like, you know, I I was raised in a house with tons of uh you know, adult language, but I was also taught, hey, you can speak like this with your friends, but, you know, there are certain places where it's not okay, and yeah. you know, I had, you know, I, I was taught very well how to be polite, whereas That's there's not, not really... teach almost any kid, unless that kid is, like, has no, so like, has some sort of social skill issue, then most kids can pick up on, I can't, I can cuss in this circumstance, but not in this circumstance, because this, you know, the situation is different. Which is good, which is true for any type of language. You wouldn't, I, you wouldn't speak formally like on a podcast, but if you were giving a speech about your podcast, you might, you would speak more formally. It's kind of interesting that like, I think adults don't always remember that about themselves. Like you knew when and when not to cuss. Why wouldn't you think your kid would know the same thing? Which is funny because most of us still don't cuss in front of our moms for that exact yeah. reason. Like that one's ingrained in us. Like no, no, don't say that yeah. one. She'll give me a dirty look. Well, I was just, I was just kind of pointing Even out that, and this is, a, yeah, yeah, I know. Hold on a second, but. <laughs> But I was just pointing out, like, this isn't a new argument at all. People have been saying this for decades, but it's that idea of, like, 
what stuff in the ratings people are more okay with youth seeing. And violence apparently has always been like, eh, that's all right. It's an action movie, whatever. But second there's a boob, oh, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) And that's so funny because in Europe it's the opposite. Violence gets a harsher rating and sex has less to do with what they're, you know, what's restricted for kids. Because there is a sort of a rating system overseas, but like they're more lenient about sexual content than they are about violence. I wonder if it's because we're a country descended from prudes. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know the whole reason America exists because because of a bunch of prudes. So Puritans, people who were so <laughs> uptight, the English kicked them out. Stole my quote from Ron Williams, but it's accurate. So uh. I think it very much does inform why the MPAA rates things the ways they do, which is so silly. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, my my whole point of bringing that up is that like when I think about what movies are okay to show like the children I eventually want to have, like language really isn't a barrier because as far as I'm concerned, as a parent, I'm going to teach my kids like, hey, this language exists, but here's when you don't use it. Whereas violence and seems like more of a like, okay, this might be hard for your sensibilities, and it depends on you, but like I feel more. Like, that's something you got to be careful with, and language is just, it's just weird and goofy to me that that's such a thing to get uptight about, you know? Yeah, and it's like, they're going to hear that language anyway. They're going to hear that language. If your kid is out in the world at all, they're going to hear bad language at some point. They're going to hear a word, they're going to know that it's naughty, and they're not going to understand it because you haven't given them any context. And so they're either going to become fascinated by it and go excess with it, or they're going to become so you know, rigid with it, that it's going to cause them anxiety. So it's better to expose them when they're young and when you can sort of explain any questions they might have or any issues that might arise around it. Education, not ignorance. This is like way off topic, I kind of, but we've been going for... But I mean, that's how R-rated childhood works. Yeah, exactly. You see things and you hear things that you wouldn't necessarily have done until you were much older and then you have a much longer time to process it. Yeah, well, I mean, we all turned out fine, <laughs> more or less. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so Clee, we've been talking for a little bit uh, under an hour, and uh, I was wondering if you had any like concluding thoughts on this before we move on to the next stage of our of our structure here. Show your kids R-rated movies. It's fine. <laughs> I love it. There's the quote. Here's the ad- <laughs> tag that. <laughs> yep, that'll be the tagline. Yeah. Well, anyway, then uh, if that's the case, then it's at this point we give you the chance to plug anything you want to plug. Uh, what do you want to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Clee the. Oh, actually, I'm just at Clee Wiggins now. No longer Clee the Pimp. Um, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can catch me on uh Movie Trivia Schmodown. The my first uh battle will be airing on YouTube for Schmodown Network on February 26th, and then I'll be doing the Battle Royale Free for All at the end of March, and I think that'll probably air about a week or so. I know I think that one's actually live. Um, and then, well, and look for my name in the credits of a couple of upcoming Netflix shows, maybe, that Ooh. I can't talk about. <laughs> Ooh, rock on. Well, then, at this point, we do what's called a suggestion of the week, which is just something that we've been into over the last week that we want to, you know, tell viewers about. Um, Ulrich, I know you've got one written down, so why don't you give us your suggestion? Uh, my suggestion of the week is one that everyone needs to go out and see if they haven't. I watched Jojo Rabbit last night. Unfortunately, didn't get to see it during you know the normal run, and this is one of my most anticipated movies of last year. And holy shit, this is a good movie. Yeah, that like, was I don't, I don't need to tell you that because it's Taika Waititi and it won Oscars and everyone talked about it. But still, if you remember, Ulrich, it was number two on my top ten movies of the year. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna go back and try and figure out where that would slot in for my movies, but. God damn, this movie does what I love in a good comedy in that you are laughing one moment and then you have whiplash because you're crying the next. And for those who don't know me, missed out on this, I'll just give the simple thing. Uh, This is about a boy who is in the Hitler Youth during the fall of Germany and his struggles to come to terms with his feelings towards the Third Reich and Hitler. And oh yeah, Hitler is his imaginary friend, played by Taika Waititi. I think it's actually another movie that would be actually good for kids to see. Oh, yeah. No, oh, this yeah, is especially definitely going it, in the list. Yeah, well, because Jojo Rabbit is thematically all about, like, facing the those truths that you hold 
right? And really analyzing them and and decide like realizing what's good about them, what's bad about them, looking at the world as it really is. There's a lot going on in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. It also shows like how you can sort of come to see who your parents really are, you know, because I, I, you know, you think of your parent as one way when you're a kid, and then as you get older, you start to see them as more and more of an actual human being and not this like perfection. Yeah. Because his mom portrayed herself to him as one thing, when in reality she was a completely different type of person. But it was only to keep him protected. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Scarlett yeah. Johansson kicks so much no, ass in that she movie. She should have got the Oscar. That's what I'm just gonna say. That. No, this is definitely going in the list. Like when I need to teach my daughter about the Holocaust, I will show her this instead uh-huh. of Schindler's List, which is how my father decided I should learn about the Holocaust. Thanks. I think you can see both. Well, eventually, everyone should see Schindler's List, but that's a you got to devote a whole day to that. I would yeah. much rather have learned about the horrors of the Holocaust through <laughs> comedic uh, Hitler than the dour, draining experience that is Schindler's List. What you do, you bookend it. You show them, like, you do, like, Jojo Rabbit, then you do Schindler's List, then you do Life is Beautiful. That could work. And if you <laughs> have to keep Jojo's Rabbit. But it ends on a comedy on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have Jojo Rabbit. Uh, all of the deleted scenes are on YouTube for free right now, and you have to watch them because you see why they're not in the movie, because it's basically Taika Waititi just riffing for 10 minutes. <laughs> it's just more comedy gold. Oh, I'm wow. going to Google that as soon as we're done here. Yes. Go watch Joe. So for my suggestion of the week, first of all, I'm Joe just going Rabbit. to – Yeah. For my suggestion of the week, first of all, I'm just going to second him. Go see Jojo Rabbit. And then I'm going to do an anti-suggestion. This is a new thing, but – um, I went out and saw Fantasy Island. Oh Lord! <laughs> it is it is not worth your time and money. And I just want to anyone who was who who was like thinking, oh, this might be worth. No, don't waste the two hours of your life on it. Trust me on this. I'm still bummed that that sucks. That's such a great idea. Yeah, and the thing is, like, it could have been. I would be more interested if it was so bad that I can rant about it, but it's not even, like, bad in a ranty way. It's just dull and flat, so it's just not worth anyone's time. Sorry. So they took a dull, know, flat TV sense. show and made a dull, flat horror film. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ricardo Montalban is anything but dull and flat. No, he's the only reason why that TV show is even watchable. And I like yeah. Michael Pena, but Michael Pena is not Ricardo Montalban. No. <laughs> no. Anyway, no, They need a more charismatic yeah, Clee, do you have a uh, suggestion for us? My suggestion is, well, I tend to spend most of my, like, free time of, of watching TV, uh, watching cooking shows. And one of my favorites is Back, which is Worst Cooks in America on the Food Network. It will, like, I love to cook, and I'm a, I'm a pretty good cook. And uh, that show, but if you are a marginal cook, that show will make you feel like you are a Bobby Flay or something, or Jacques Van, because those people are so hopeless <laughs> and this year alton brown who's one of my favorite food network personalities is one of the like coaches quote unquote uh and he is you can tell he's totally frustrated that food network broke them into being on that show it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> just a just a side note out of curiosity because i don't remember anyone ever coming on the podcast before and saying that they were like really into cooking yeah. do you have a um like, if you were cooking, do you have a signature dish? Oh, yeah. Um, my signature dish, and and it's because it's the one I typically bring when I'm asked to bring something, is macaroni and cheese. And it's it's like, I, it's Southern style, so it's a baked macaroni and cheese. And you would think that it's a simple dish, but it's not. I use five different kinds of cheeses. Um, I use I don't use macaroni pasta. I use cavatappi pasta which is sort of like if you if a penne pasta was sort of was a corkscrew shaped and my mac and cheese it's amazing and everybody who's ever had it raves well you've got me hungry so anyway <laughs> so this uh worst cooks in america sorry back to that so i haven't i haven't heard of this this is like food network right is what it's you said a food network show and basically like they take um i think it's about around 15 or 16 contestants um, who have been nominated by their friends and family as the worst cook in America. And these are people who, like, lit- like when I say literally cannot boil water, they literally cannot. Like, some of these people, they don't know. One person, like, like, and they 
like one person like he was trying to cut a steak on the first episode and was using the the opposite side of the knife so instead of the sharp side he had the sharp side up and was trying to slice the steak people sounds tragic it is tragedy it is so hilarious where you like the the um the older seasons i i believe are on hulu so you can watch them all on it is amazing it's the best show and like if you are just the sort of person who like you eat pork and beans every day and but you make but it's delicious that show will make you feel like oh i'm a gourmet (laughs) <laughs> confidence boosting i approve <laughs> it's my favorite show all right well clee thanks for coming on the show with us thank you for having me i really appreciate it yeah and if uh you know you ever want to come back on you just let us know uh this is right now we go into a little outro thing but it's important for us to always thank our guests so <laughs> thank you Auric, can you take us out yeah all right well thank you all for listening be sure to like share subscribe do all the things because that is literally how podcasts live or die and with more and more podcasts every day the competition gets that much steeper so we need those likes and shares and subscribes and whatever all that much more and whatever platform you're currently listening to us on that's awesome thank you i can't say this enough times i'm always going to be amazed that people are listening that's just great we are currently on soundcloud stitcher google play Pocket Cast, spotify and iHeartRadio. if there's a platform that i didn't list just now that you would like us to be on tell us what it is and we can look into it as always this has been lord commander Ulrich and his shield brother axel wright be sure to tune in next time and as always stay honorable